It's great to be here talking about human evolution. When we talk about evolution, you're not concerned about, I don't think, evolution of clams or rats or snakes. You're concerned about human evolution. And so it surprises me that in the creation movement, not really much is talked about human evolution. So therefore, me and some colleagues decided to write this book called Apes as Ancestors, the only book ever written that definitively shows all the claims of human evolution are simply wrong. And uh, don't let the references intimidate you. They're page after page of references from paleontological journals, but it's we worked really hard, so it's readable, which is helpful. Today, it's an article in Christianity Today, which you can see here, the search for the historical Adam. And ironically, it may surprise you, but that more and more the mainline denominations are rejecting the idea that we were descended from our first parents, Adam and Eve. In fact, I've been involved with a study group for the past 30 years, and the last time we met was at Baylor University. And the question, these were professors of theology at seminaries and colleges, and the last thing we question was, was there a real Adam? And the consensus, I didn't say much during this conference, but the consensus was Adam and Eve are fictional characters. They're not real. That we descended from apes, evolution is true, and therefore we as Christians have to accept the facts of science, and the facts of science show unequivocally that we evolve. Therefore, Adam and Eve are mythical characters. And that was the consensus. And the problem is, the evidence against human evolution is overwhelmingly wrong. And here you can see a chart on where people are at relative to this question. And the longer the gray or the black line, the more they are to believe in evolution. And from this data, we can see Jehovah's Witnesses, ironically, are the least likely to accept human evolution and thus to accept historical Adam and Eve. The Mormons were next. Evangelical Protestants, which is us, are next. Still, among evangelical Protestants, something like 30% do not accept Adam and Eve. So hopefully you 30% are listening because that's the information I'm going to present today. And then Muslim, that surprises me. I just assume most Muslims, since they they basically, in the Muslim faith, Adam was a prophet. They pray to Adam. He's a great prophet. They hold him up to high esteem in the Muslim scriptures. And yet, that many Muslims don't believe he ever existed. Now we have some specific data, which hopefully you can see that up there. It's easy to read. We have some historical surveys, which they did. And you can see this right here is a belief that Adam and Eve are myths that we basically evolved. And some brief examples, United Church of Christ reject Adam and Eve. Greek Orthodox reject Episcopal, reject Presbyterian Church, USA, reject the African Methodist Episcopal Church, rejects Church of God in Christ. Uh, oh, 
that accepts. And then the Lutheran and the Baptist denominations all in writing openly reject the acceptance of Adam and Eve as our literal forefathers. And I am a Methodist. And just a few weeks ago, we disassociated from the Methodist denomination. We are now part of the global Methodist church. And one major reason was they church officially rejects the idea that Adam and Eve were literal historical characters. Tragic, I think. And my fellow people at the church agreed. But the issue is, is that the evidence against human evolution is so incredibly overwhelming. There's more evidence of men from Mars than there is from, at least we don't know, there might be, I haven't found any, but we might be. But with evolution, human evolution, we know scientifically it is not true. It is not true. Result of this is pretty obvious. Less than half of Americans are members of house or worship. Every year, the number of people who belong to churches, to a church, goes down. And one major reason why, and we've done surveys on this question, and one major reason why is very simply, they don't accept Adam and Eve as our fathers, and as a result, don't accept original sin and the sacrifice of Christ was to atone for original sin as well as our own sins. So we can see why the churches are declining. And I presented this message or similar in over 600 churches in the past few decades. 600 churches. Guess how many of those churches were in Chicago? 20, you think? 30? Five? One. Guess what that church is? <laughs> you're sitting in it. Right here it is. And you're doing so well, partially because, although I know, you know, you're not perfect. No church is. No one makes that claim. But the fact is, is that you're getting, I was just mentioning earlier to some of your people, you're getting that message over and over and over in so many people that come here that same the same message. I can't imagine any of you well, I guess there might be a couple who accept the idea that we were evolved from apes. So the message is not getting across, at least in Chicago. What's wrong with Chicagoans? I thought they were smart people. But I've had a number of churches say, yeah, your message is fine. You can come to our Sunday school, but don't want to give you the pulpit. It's not open to, just open to the pastor, nobody else. And that, I think, is tragic. Tragic. What does the Bible say? Well, Genesis 1.27, King James. I do a lot of churches that use King James only, so that's what I use. No problem, just hard to read. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And Genesis 3.20 says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living can you get clearer than that? Even in the King James, it's, it's clear. It's clear. God created us. Acts 17, 26, in case you want to look at the New Testament. And he hath made of one blood from one man 
all nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. Many other scriptures, but that is the flavor. And there you see, there's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now, why is evolution so widely accepted? Well, just a few pictures which dynamically show, or dramatically as well, show the difference. Even in a dark alley at midnight, you can tell the difference between those two creatures. One is a man, and the other is an ape. Morphologically, they are clearly, they are clearly different. And there you go, same profiles, very, very different. And some people say, well, what about the faces? Again, no problem. No problem at all. And somebody at another presentation I gave said, yeah, you have a blonde, blue-eyed girl. Not fair. All right. Brown eyes, dark hair. Is that fair? No, that's not fair. Well, there is no way of making it fair. What about people who have microcephalicism? What about people who have, well, there's a black, a black woman. Still, obviously, different world. Clearly, one is a woman and clearly one is a ape. And there is a microcephalic. And even this, this is a brain disease. Even in this case, we can see there's a world of difference. And here, fully human, uh, there are some people out there, that's true, that look like apes, but still... Had no trouble discerning this man's appearance on the street. Eyes, look at the eyes. Look how different they are. The whites of the eyes, we're the only primate that has whites of the eyes. That's really useful because I can tell what you're looking at. When I was teaching, I could tell whether they were looking at me or something else. Just look at the whites of the eyes. And you can see the apes, the primates, they don't have whites of the eyes. Therefore, it's hard to tell what they are looking at. The skulls, same thing, huge difference. It doesn't take a paleoanthropologist to notice that, gee, there's a human there and there's a chimpanzee there and never the twain shall meet. And in the fossil record, never the twain does meet, period, period. And if you want to be more detailed, there's an x-ray. Again, huge differences. Brain size, enormous differences. Size is, of course, one difference. Human brain, about 1,400 grams, weighs. A chimp brain, about 400 grams. Huge difference just in brain size. In the ability to speak, apes, there's no way they can speak. In fact, the only creature in the whole earth that can speak with language that's understandable besides grunts and so on is humans. No other creature has the ability to speak. I know birds can do a pretty good job of squeaking, but on the other hand, you know right away that they're birds and they can't, you can't sit down and have a conversation. Although some do pretty good job having conversation, but that's another story. Why? Because the whole oral cavity, the trachea, etc., it's all designed specifically so we can speak and nothing is even close. You cannot bridge that with the fossil record. Bones, you look at the bones, what do we say? Again, very, very different. If you're a trained paleontologist, you can discern, if you have enough of the bone, whether this bone came from a ape or a human. Every one of them are different. And I'll give you a few examples. 
Everyone is different. Now, if you have bone fragments that are broken up, it gets harder. But on the other hand, clear differences. The jawbone, again, a major difference. The uh, ape, you can see, is much more compact, has canine teeth. The ape does. Right here, canine teeth. Where we don't have it, our teeth are all uh, different than from an ape's. And you can see the diameter here, very, very different. So that, without problem, you can tell the difference. The hand of a gorilla and a human, obviously, very, very different. The feet, actually, chimps don't have two hands and two feet. They have four feet, which is really good for climbing trees. Hard for humans to climb trees because, well, look at the difference in the feet and the others. And I have another picture showing you more detail. And there you can see, even if you're horribly nearsighted, no problem telling the difference. And walking, locomotion, you can see that the locomotion of humans were bipedal, where chimps are quadrupedal, and that means a whole different design for the skeletal and muscle system. Whole different design. The skull, we have a lot of information about skulls because one of the few things we have in the fossil record is we have lots of skulls. Lots of skulls. And when we line them up, sometimes we can get what looks like a progression. And right here you can see a gorilla at the top, Australopithecus, and Pathocanthropus, Neanderthals, and Cro-Magnon. You can see that there are some that are similar, but nowadays these are all classified as humans. I did a presentation before on Neanderthals, and Neanderthals are, guess what, our brothers and sisters. They are not a different creature. And when they draw pictures, you can see here, one thing that I notice is Notice the bodies are pretty good of all these. Our long-lost ancestors had very modern bodies. Most of you guys would be pretty proud if you had a body like that, right? You're pretty proud. He's got a good build. He's a strong guy. The head, though, you see, changes. And finally here, it more looks human. And here, of course, it looks fully human. Why is that? Well, because we don't have much fossil evidence at all of the bodies. All we can do is guess. We have lots of skulls, but not much evidence of the bodies. And so, therefore, we just make up what seems to be the case is what we do. And there you can see is a skull. And the reason I selected this is because this guy used to be our missing ancestor. This was proof of evolution. There we go. There he is. How can you deny that? Well, now guess what? Now they recognize the Cro-Magnon skulls look just like ours. So he's joined the family because we realize he is, in many ways, humans. Now, what I find, unfortunately, is a lot of dishonesty. Well, they wouldn't call it dishonesty. They would call it, well, stretching the truth to make it more palatable. And the example that they give is when your wife goes to the beauty parlor and spends $180 on a new hairdo, when she comes back and she says, honey, how do I look? What are you going to say? 
If you're a smart husband, you'll say, oh, honey, you look gorgeous. Well worth $180. (laughs) Gorgeous. Look wonderful. Well, probably if you were really fully honest, you will say that I can't really tell the difference. What did you do? Yeah, so it's kind of a white lie, I guess you might call it. So that's what they say, this is a white lie. Well, this picture right here, that is supposed to be australopithecines. Well, guess what? That's not an australopithecines. That's a baby monkey. Because as babies, the monkeys look very human. They grow out of that, but they look very human. And to say that this is our missing link, it's not. It's the guys down the street who's had a monkey that's got several babies what it is. And you can see that in this right here, except I couldn't get an earlier picture, but you can see the traits here are found in here. And then when we look at an adult chimp and the baby chimp, we can see somewhat human, pretty big ears, but in many ways, somewhat human. So you need to compare adults with adults and that would be honest, but that's not done. Now, this is a slide I often use because it shows a baby and a chimp. They look very different, but they claim, and that's why I use this slide, they claim that 99% of profiles are identical. In other words, genetically, there is 1% difference between those two. And that has been touted by evolutionists for 40 years. The fact is, though, when we analyze the genes, and I have a whole chapter in my book on this, when we analyze the genes, we find it's not 1% difference, but it's about 15% difference. And there's 3 billion base pairs in our body. Therefore, 15% is about 450 million differences. In other words, there is a chasm between us and chimps. Genetically, it's so large, creationists can't even figure out why it's so large. It's huge. And they're trying to bridge that. And that's the idea of looking for the missing links. They're trying to bridge that chasm. Have they been successful? Well, no. One big problem is the difference is met, is, is reduced, try to reduce it, by the claim that mutations changes monkeys into people. And that's an area I know a lot about because when I was at the medical school, that's the work I did. We analyzed mutations because I did cancer research, and cancer, we know, is a result of mutations. Mutations cause damage. In fact, I have, you can see here, all diseases caused by mutations, all inherited disease, or birth defects like Down syndrome, which is really a mutation. The only other causes of disease is pathogens, bacteria, diet, and toxins. That's it. That's the causes of disease. So mutations are a major, major cause of disease, major cause of disease. So how do we get from apes to you by mutations? Well, we don't. That's a big problem. As a matter of fact, Ernst Mayer, one of the most esteemed evolutionary biologists taught at Harvard University of the last century, said, ultimately, all variation is due to mutation. 
Theodosius Dobzhansky, a Russian scientist, said, mutation is the only source of the raw material and hence of evolution. In other words, what they teach is you are the result of billions of mistakes. Look at your neighbor and say, you're the result of billions of mistakes. Go ahead. See, she doesn't slap you. <laughs> you're the result of billions. That's ludicrous. Even if any three, four, five-year-olds in the audience, I bet they will recognize that's ludicrous. But yet that's what they believe. They really do honestly believe that we came about as a result of billions of mistakes called mutations. They really believe that. And that's why I find this incredible. In fact, it's worse than incredible. Now, something about mutations. In the 1920s, Dr. Herman Mueller discovered x-rays increased the mutation rate in fruit flies he was actually doing work on by a 100 times. He therefore reasoned you could speed up evolution by causing mutations by x-rays. And so this was a huge discovery. It's so famous that this guy, this... Uh, article in Science Magazine, Herman Mueller was written up as a hero. New discovery speeds up evolution. This was so important that this man, Mueller, got the Nobel Prize, the most prestigious prize in science, because he, well, his exact words were, the accumulation of many rare, mainly tiny changes, chief means of animal and plant improvement, but is how natural selection has occurred by natural selection. Thus, the Darwinian theory becomes implemented. Aha, we've now proved Darwinism. All we have to do is put you and I in an x-ray machine, turn it on, and we'll have some gifted kids. No, you're lucky if they live. You probably have some kids that have diseases like leukemia. And in case when I present this slide, people say, come on, that couldn't be true. Well, here's a book which basically talks about evolution, and it says, no mutations, no evolution. Could anything be clear? No mutations, no evolution. And they admit most mutations are random, which that's not true either. And beneficial mutations are rare. Well, that's true. You got part of it right. The problem is, is that I worked for years studying mutations because mutations is a cause of cancer. We know a lot about mutations. And one thing we know is that there are hotspots. Hotspots means that in a gene that certain mutations, the same ones, occur over and over and over and over. You will never get any changes in most genes if you have the same gene that mutates over and over and over. And this is important because in doing cancer diagnoses, we want to find out which mutation it was, and therefore we treat the cancer according to which mutation caused the problem. And this happens to be P53, which is a really important molecule. I should give a whole sermon on P53. If you don't think there's a God after this sermon, you will know there's a God because he made P53. <laughs> It's amazing. And this is mutations in P53. And you'll see three mutations account for 99% of all mutations. So you will never get progress by mutations occurring in the same place over and over and over. You won't get change. You'll get cancer is what you'll get. It doesn't work. 
And in case you doubt that, next time you go on a flight, maybe you can ask the person, the screener, the TSA screener, uh, after you send my luggage through, could I go through? Why? Because mutations, I'm, see, I'm trying to get pregnant and I hope to get pregnant soon. And, uh, mutations will make my child a genius. Probably the TSA will guy will say, uh, could you wait here, please? I'll be right back. <laughs> He'll come back. Two big guys in white coats will say, uh, sir, could you please come with me? Here, please come with me now. Okay, get the straight jacket on him. Come with me. This is crazy. Ironically, though, people believe in things that are crazy. The slide shows that uh, x-ray machines are useful. You can see the gun there. And one other factor, which I have a whole PowerPoint on, and basically this is evolution from a textbook, and I cut out part of it because it was too big to fit on the slide, but it claim here that lemurs evolved in New World monkeys, then Old World, then gibbons, and simmings, orangutans, chimpanzees, gorillas, negroes, negroids, australoids, mongoloids, and Europeans. Obviously, this is racist. But yet, racism was taught in our biology textbooks, and I have hundreds, I collect these things. Racism was taught in our biology books for over a century. That's a whole PowerPoint which I, I give. And uh, I was going to give that in a black church in Indianapolis. And my wife said, don't you dare. And I says, well, if they don't invite me back, so be it. I gave that presentation in a black church. I was never so well received in all my life. I heard so many, amen, brother, amen, brother, amen, brother, amen, brother. They really loved it. And several said, I knew this was taught, but never really taught so clearly as you're bringing out how racist evolution was. So this is one of the bad things about evolution. And there, in case you want more evidence, this is just a picture. There is a chimp, orangutan, orangutan here. Okay, there's a gorilla, orangutan. And there's a N-E-G-E-R. This is German. Obviously, what are they teaching? Obviously, this makes it clear, a white a black and a gorilla, a chimp, a chimp, obviously teaching evolution. And uh, this is, I think, one of the biggest problems that evolution is not only wrong, but it's openly, blatantly racist. Here's a book which basically, by 1928, 375 U.S. colleges were teaching eugenics, 70% of high school biology textbooks endorsed eugenics. And eugenics is, of course, the idea that produced the Holocaust, produced sterilizations of 70,000 young women because they were said to be an inferior race. And the courts have ruled consistently public school teachers must teach evolution as prescribed by the curriculum. And this overrides the First Amendment rights as a private citizen. How about the Christian colleges? Well, University of Notre Dame, I have a, a grandson who's got a four point, who's Catholic, went to Catholic schools. He wants to go to Notre Dame. So we went to Notre Dame to check out the school and I went to the uh, bookstore and looked at the books they were selling. And guess what? All the books they were selling were against creation. All of them 
or against creation. And there were many books in favor of evolution. The Catholic Church, the official position is that you evolve from apes. Official position. How about Protestant churches? Well, let's go around home. Wheaton College, there you are. I've been at Wheaton College many times, and guess what? They teach the same thing. They tactfully, but they teach that you evolved, and somewhere along the line, somehow, God said, hey, that's a good-looking couple. I think I'll call them Adam and Eve. Why do the Protestant churches and Catholic churches teach this? They teach this because they're really fully convinced evolution is how we got here. It's ludicrous. And I've tried to challenge, well, number one, they don't want me to speak there. And number two, I'd love to be able to have a debate with some of these people. Okay, I get an email from this company. They want support for teaching evolution. And they say, they correctly note that every development, every develop, I'll just read it off my PowerPoint here. Every developing mind wrestles with the mystery of how we became who we are. Before Darwin, the only sensible answer was that we were designed by a supernatural creator. Now, as before Darwin, virtually all, as far as we know, all naturalists were creationists. Virtually all. After Darwin, virtually all scientists now are evolutionists. Darwin converted the world. That was his goal. Darwin made it very clear that my goal is to murder God. That's his words. How do you murder God? You murder God by destroying the reason people believe in him. And therefore, you destroy the evidence for creation and you accept, you come up with a new explanation of our creation and that new explanation is evolution. And then they said, a scientific understanding of our origins is fundamental to a realistic worldview. Fortunately, teachers, the Institute for Evolutionary Science, it's up to the task to reach as many teachers as possible. So they're saying that it is hard to convince people that we evolve. Just look around, compare you with the apes, the morphology. How do you convince that we were one-time apes? It's hard to teach people that. It goes contrary to common science and what they often learn at church. So therefore, this organization, TIES, T-I-E-S, learns how to effectively indoctrinate students in the evolutionary worldview. And they claim they're good at it, and they obviously are. And as a result, this is a quote from a well-known physics professor, evolution became, in a sense, a scientific religion almost all scientists have accepted in, and many are prepared to bend their observations to fit in with it. So white lies are okay. The end goal is laudable. And Jerry Coyne, who was taught at the University of Chicago, he recently retired, he is a staunch atheist and evolutionist, and he wrote a book titled Fact Versus Faith. Sorry, Faith Versus Fact. And basically what he concluded was the evidence of evolution is overwhelming and to try to meld the two together, you can't do it. 
Why science and religion are incompatible. They're incompatible. And he has a whole book showing how and why they are incompatible. And so many churches teach theistic evolution because they believe they're not incompatible, unfortunately. And here's an atheist who agrees with me. And here is a book titled, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Norm Geisler, who did an introduction for one of my books. And basically he says that to accept atheism is hard. He doesn't have enough faith. And therefore, that's what the book's about. And some cartoons, cartoons say so much. This is a cartoon smashing the creationist and the intelligent design supporters. There's the Pope, and he's crushing these two ideas based on science. So he really believes, the cartoonist really believes, and the Pope really believes that scientists has shown overwhelmingly that we evolve from apes. And why do so many people believe that? Well, here's an article in the Toledo Blade, which is the newspaper where I live, and they basically have an article here talking about why we have so many spare parts. And basically what they say is, you can read at the top there, we have all kinds of body parts that don't serve a purpose. Why would we have all these useless body parts? The reason we have all these useless body parts is because of evolution. As we evolved, we needed certain structures when we were apes. But as we evolved, we don't need those, but they, hit, they stick around. And that is a major evidence of evolution. So I wrote a letter to them, and I said, I've taught anatomy for 30 years. I've reviewed many books. You do that when you teach a course. I reviewed many books. None of them make any claims of any organ being useless. They're all useful. So it's not true that certain organs have no function. It's not true. And they called me, said, did you, did you send us this letter? I said, yes, I did. And they didn't publish it. They don't want people to know that indeed all the body parts you have really all at least useful. They don't want people to know that. So they censored it and they never published my letter. And that's one reason why so many people believe in evolution because we have massive censorship that basically prevents people from hearing the other side. As I mentioned, I've presented this in similar presentations in over 600 churches. I have yet to have somebody disagree. I'm thinking of bringing a bunch of books and saying, if anyone disagrees, I'll give you a free book. But nobody out of 600 churches, many were 100 people, 300, 500 people, 1,000 attended. Nobody objected. I would love to get into colleges, but the door's not open. I was hoping to get into Taylor University, which claims to be a Christian college. I understand the president is a creationist, and he talked to the faculty, and the faculty said, we don't want to hear Bergman. He's wrong. Creation's wrong. We don't want to hear Bergman. We have no interest in what he has to say because evolution is fact. That's what we teach. 
there's no point in having somebody come in and give us information which doesn't support what we believe. Useless organs is an area of interest of mine since I taught anatomy. And I have this book I wrote called Useless Organs. And I go through all the claimed examples and show there are no useless organs. All the organs you have in, a, in your body are there for a good reason. And you should be thankful they are there. Unfortunately, this has caused a lot of wrong things. My wife, when she had her first child, they had to do it cesarean. And the doctor said, oh, while I was in there, I took out your appendix, freebie, no charge. <laughs> so what was wrong with it? Oh, nothing. It just, it, it's useless, has no function. So it's better to get it out when we can, and that way later on it won't cause you trouble. Well, now we know people who have appendectomies are far more likely to have a number of problems. There are five functions for this structure. Same thing with wisdom teeth. Somebody, I think the last church I was at yesterday, said when we were, I was in the military, they pulled all of our wisdom teeth. Or was that somebody here that, I forget. But why do they pull the, because you got to get them out. They have no use. People always ask me, what do the wisdom teeth do? <laughs> Are you really asking that question? <laughs> what do you think the teeth do? <laughs> they all chew food. What do you think the wisdom teeth do? They chew food. They, they do what all other teeth do. And now we know there are many good reasons why you should have the wisdom teeth, if you, if you can. Now, sometimes they become impacted, so sometimes you have to take them out. True. And by the way, my book has been translated into Arabic. And uh, my neighbor who speaks Arabic said it was pretty well written. And I had no idea because I can't read Arabic. <laughs> so, so I assume since he reads it and enjoyed it, it must be well written. And I have this uh, video here. Vestigial organs from 100 to none. And I basically summarize the information. So that is an area which they are wrong about. And this is a letter I wrote to them and uh, basically said they're wrong. And they basically ignored what I said. The Supreme Court decision or the local court, uh, Judge Jones, he said defendants make a bedrock assumption which is utterly false. This assumption is evolutionary theory is antithetical to a belief in the existence of God. That's false, he claims. Plaintiff scientific expert, experts testified the theory of evolution is overwhelmingly accepted by the scientific community and it in no way conflicts with or denies the existence of a divine creator. Yeah, right. I have a whole book on people who were Christians, claimed to be at least, and accepted evolution and became atheists. Title, Evolution is the Doorway to Atheism. And indeed, it does. And that's why Darwin developed the theory. And so what we're doing is replacing one religion for another. Religion is really a worldview. It's the way we see the world. Religion and our worldview tells us where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. Evolution says where we came from, we evolved from apes. Our purpose, well, to survive. Where are we going? We die, we die, that's it. We're going nowhere. We're going to the grave. That's the end of life. The church religion tells us where did we come from? God created us. Why are we here? To serve God, to preach the good news, the kingdom to all the inhabited earth, 
to be Christians, help our brothers, our sisters, to go out and help the other people God has created. Where are we going? Two choices, heaven or hell. So all those questions are answered by evolution and by creation. So the state has basically ruled our religion, your religion is unconstitutional. My religion, atheism, evolution, that's perfectly okay. can teach that. And that is exactly what's done in the schools. And therefore, you can see why so many people accept a belief which is really pathetic. And here's a book called Darwinism as Religion, written by Michael Roos. And he shows a whole thick book. He shows why Darwinism really is a religion. Whole book, well documented. But yet, the courts don't listen to that. One common way they respond to us, and I'm always reading anything about my work, anything negative I read, because they might have a good point. Sometimes they do. But 99% of the time, their response to what I'm saying is mocking. They mock me. And here's a good example. Fish evolving amphibians to, to uh, mammals, gorillas, humans. And here you can see is a board member of the Arizona school board who advocating we ought to teach both sides of this controversial question. Actually, what I think we should teach is why evolution is untrue, the harm is caused, and why the creation worldview is the only worldview supported by evidence. So I don't think we should teach both views. We should show them why evolution is false, the harm it's done, and end of story. Another example of mocking, here is a man who is applying for a job as a biology teacher, and the woman there says, there's a scientific creationist here to apply for the position of biology teacher. And you'll notice he has an apple and a snake. So they misunderstand totally what the creation worldview is all about. And here is a creation science fair. There's the winner, you can see, a good-looking young guy there. <laughs> the hypothesis is Darwin was wrong. Experiment, read the Bible. Results, God said it, I believe it. He Hypothesis proved. End of story. And the claim is, is that we are shoving down creation in the heads of students, and the teacher is prevented from blocking that. And actually, the truth is, the teachers are shoving evolution down the kids' throats, and the teacher is prevented from presenting the information I presented today. This information, by the way, I presented today, the courts have ruled is unconstitutional. Unconstitutional because this shows faults of evolution, therefore leads people to accept creation. So this is called backdoor teaching of religion. Even though it's all science, what I presented all science. So this church is certainly, certainly to be applauded. It's just really tragic. This is the only church in Chicago that allows the other side to be presented from the pulpit. 